Happy Women's Day, Happy Mother's Day. I am so excited to be here. As you see all the ladies behind me, we have a special Sabbath today and the theme is surrender. I would like to introduce to you the speaker of the day. First, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's a woman of God, most of all. She loves the Lord. When, we, as a committee, the ladies, we were wondering who should we get to speak? And the first name, what a name, blessings. <laughs> what a name. She is a woman that loves the Lord. She's dedicated her life to the Lord. And as you're gonna see in her message today, she was out there in the world and she came back to the Lord and totally surrendered her heart to Jesus. And she lives in Alamo, California. And you'll learn later on uh, how we met, but we did meet in California, and she's just, she has two beautiful children, absolutely beautiful, a son and a daughter. And she's a woman that's in the word. She's a woman of prayer. She speaks to her Lord all the time. She has a connection with heaven. That's what I like about her. Well, also with her is her niece, Katiana. She's in med school. Katiana, will you stand, please? She's like a daughter to her. She's a wonderful woman of God also, and she will share in her message today about Katiana. Katiana's friend, he drove her here. Welcome. I want to welcome you also. It's, I think it's his first time here. But the next voice that you will hear after Dr. Yvonne Shelton gives the message of meditation in music will be that, I love her name, of blessings win. Amen. <laughs> She stumbled through the tears that made her blind She felt such pain Some spoke in anger Heard folks whisper There's no place here for her kind Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face Until at last she knelt before his feet And though she spoke no words Everything she said was heard As she poured her love for the master From her box of alabaster I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be 
you angry if I wash its feet with my tears or dry them with my hair? Oh, you weren't there the night he found me. You didn't feel what I felt when he wrapped his love around me. The cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I can't forget the way life used to be. I was a prisoner in the sins that had me bound. And I spent my days pouring my life without measure into a little treasure box I thought I'd found until the day Jesus came to me and filled my life with the wonder of His touch. Now I'm giving back to Him. All the praise he's worthy of I've been forgiven And that's why I love him so much And I've come to pour My praise on him Like oil From Mary's alabaster box So don't be angry If I wash his feet with my tears Or dry them with my hair Oh, you weren't there The night my Jesus found me You didn't feel what I felt When he wrapped his arms of love all around me And you don't know the cost of the oil No You don't know the cost of my praise You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster bones Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath to you all. I um, have been blessed over and over in my short stay here in Thompsonville. And I'm overcome with emotion and love for every single one of you. Even though I don't know the majority of you here, I feel you and I know you through Christ. We serve a good God a merciful God. And my tears and my emotions are because I've never in my life experienced the joy that he's given me like I have today. And I'm thankful. 
To, re- to reiterate today's uh, scripture, the focus is Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his dis- disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And when I got the invite to come and be the speaker for today's Mother's Day Sabbath, Women's Day Sabbath, I was shocked and honored. I thought, little old me on 3ABN and John Lomacane's stage? (laughs) Danny Shelton? No, come on. Yvonne? No. And I said, even though I may not be them, I still have the word of God in me. And it's my testimony that all of us have lived, not just me, what I'm gonna share today. It may not be the same story, but we fall to the same prey, which is the enemy, Satan. But victoriously, I'm here on a path to be reunited with our Heavenly Father for the promise of heaven. So, I'm gonna get into it a little bit deeper later, but when I met the Loma Kings, it was in the very dark part of my life. And um, it led to something great. God allowed me to suffer and to be afflicted, and I'm eternally grateful. So, the Loma Kings, I had, um, like I said, been in a dark place, and uh, COVID, 19 had shut the world down. Churches were closed and um, I had nowhere to turn. I had everything but nowhere to turn. And uh, my niece and I, my mother and my two children discovered 3ABN on YouTube. And for a year straight, we gathered with you guys. Your time, 11 a.m., our time, 1 p.m., and we worshiped. I have three journals full of his sermons. I was richly blessed. Our family was united in a way that no earthly possession could have bonded us. And so I'm very thankful for that. And like I said, I'll get into the, the details a little bit later so that I don't spoil it for you. But before I go there, let's start with prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Sabbath. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath. I was raised in the church and I understood the doctrinal reasons for a Sabbath, but I hadn't had a spiritual experience with the Sabbath. Thank you for bringing me back through surrender to observe the Sabbath, the gift that you've given us, to unite us with you. Revelation reminds us that this is the seal of God. And through it, I have learned how to worship you, how to pace my life dedicated to you, how to just be a woman of faith, a sister to to people I don't know, to be a beacon for my children, and a better wife, a better daughter, a better citizen, a better daughter of you ultimately. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here together to celebrate your love, your word, and your light. This I pray in your beautiful Jesus, son's name, Jesus, excuse me. 
Amen. So here we are. I would just want to encourage you that your past does not cancel God's future for you. God still has a future and hope for each of us. However, it all comes down to one question. Are you willing to surrender? Allow me to share the scripture again, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, then follow me. As I speak with you, the intent of my message isn't to glorify where I've been or the things that I've accumulated, but it's to give you a a general picture of where I was, what I worshiped, the false idols that were in my life, and how ultimately God stripped them from me. And when he stripped them from me, I had a choice. And the choice that was clear was to repent, to get on my knees and surrender. Discipleship is not optional. Anyone can be a church member, but true discipleship requires surrender. So I'm gonna take you through my life here. This is the beginning. Some of you might be wondering, how on earth did this child get her name Blessings? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, growing up, it was something that uh, toughened me up, gave me an extra layer of skin. Here I am. Um, in my traditional Guatemalan wardrobe. But before we get there, I was named Blessings by my mother. When she was pregnant with me, a doctor uh, told her that I was going to be a mongoloid, which in those days was a terminology for Down syndrome. And he advised her and urged her, you know, just abort this child. Whatever the remnants are, we can give it to other children. We can save lives with your daughter's, you know, tissues, blood, whatever it might be. And in shock and, and dismay, she went home and she prayed. Fervent prayer. And God answered her in a vision and said to her, there's nothing wrong with your child. And said to her, name her blessings as a testament of faith. And so she did. Now, when I meet people, I can tell whether they are aware of God or not because I get different responses about my name. So some people will say, what'd you say, come again? Blesley? Blossom? It's as if they're doubting the presence of a blessing in their face. And that's okay. Then some others will say to me, tell me where you dance. Okay. But nonetheless, with, with a humble spirit, I always hold their hand, and then I place another hand on top of the other, and I say to them with affirmation, my name is Blessings. And that clears it all, off, all up, and they stop their silly conjecture. So, needless to say, I was born a healthy child. I was born healthy in Guatemala to a queen of a territory known as the Mosquito Coast and a Scott-Irish-Jewish-German father from Berkeley, California. He was a descendant of a Mormon uh, lineage 
His great-great-great-grandfather was the right hand to uh, a Mormon leader known as Brigham Young. So he was a uh, blacksmith and he would set up townships as they made their way from Illinois all the way to Utah because Utah at that time was not yet a territory of the United States so they could go on doing whatever they liked. But nonetheless, my uh, great-great-great-great-grandfather decided to leave the Mormon church and set up his family in Moab. So my father um, never ended up being a Mormon. However, he was raised in Episcopalian church. And his parents allowed him to go to church by himself. And at the, end, at the tender age of 12, they asked him, would you like to continue going to church? And he said, I'm all alone. No, I pass. So he went on into the 60s and 70s, and uh, this was a time of great uh, turmoil with the Vietnam War. And uh, he discovered spiritualism in the form of esotericism and Eastern religion. So here he is having married a, if I count correctly, third or fourth generation SDA queen of an indigenous territory. And this territory is known to some of you as Nicaragua, but it's the Atlantic side. So here they are, and I'm born, and because neither of my parents are from Guatemala, the government decides you're not worthy of citizenship. You have no claim here. My mother had already been exiled from Nicaragua for speaking up for the rights of her people and repeatedly jailed. So here we are, mother and child without a country. Well, lucky for me, my father's father was a judge and a legislator. He had written all the California uh, labor laws and he had much influence and power and knew many people in Congress. So he expedited our citizenship and we came to the United States. So here I am at the age of two and three quarters, speaking nothing but Spanish at that time. And here are some photos of my father and mother. My father and I were very, very close, loved him dearly. So, in summary of the first part of my life is, regardless of you, your family, your circumstances, your obstacles, God's purposes are above all. Amen. Whether you're aware of them or not, he's always walking with you. He's working miracles, constantly inviting you. All you have to turn, do is turn and look, acknowledge him and hold his hand. So now in growing up, I'm a third generation, again, seven-day Adventist. I'm checking all the metrics along with my mother. Now, my father was not a seven-day Adventist. He never converted. However, he let my mother be the storm of, of spirit through God in our house. So he let that pervade. So we observed Sabbath. We ate clean. We held vespers. You name it, the dress code. Um, memorizing scripture, all of these things she did to ensure that we knew who God was. 
As a young girl, I prayed constantly and I stayed out of trouble, but I was definitely someone who would question authority. I was no stranger to detention. And even with my father being an Eastern religion sympathizer, again, he didn't interfere with my SDA upbringing. Nevertheless, I had to listen to a lot of debate between my parents. And that debate led me to be open-minded. For instance, you know, I would say to myself, well, I love them dearly. They clearly serve two different gods, but I have to listen to where they agree. So in a way, it started to fragment my faith, but I was unaware of it just yet. Then it got to a point where the public schools were just not the place for me, and the best option was Catholic school. So I ended up going to Catholic school. However, I was you know, subjected to teachings that we, in our faith, don't have. None of these were biblical. And again, I started to feel little fractures in, in my faith. And in high school, I ended up going back to a public school, and um, because I was bright, uh, my chemistry, chemistry teacher took note of me and decided, oh, this girl's gonna be college bound. So behind my back, she went to Santa Clara University and spoke with the uh, um, admissions officer and got me a full ride for chemistry. So I went to Santa Clara, another Jesuit institution. So again, my parents weren't filthy rich, they, didn't, they couldn't afford to do any of this. Nevertheless, God still used vehicles available to give them to me. At Santa Clara University, I met another Adventist, and his name was Neil Arthur. And it was so strange because we were the only two every, every Friday evening still in our dorms while everyone else was, you know, hooting and howling and getting drunk and doing whatever it might be. And I was roaming the halls one day and I saw his, room door, his dorm open and I looked in and he says, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm observing Sabbath. And he said, get out. I said, well, I, I'm not even in your room, what you mean get out? And he goes, I mean, I'm SDA as well. So we, we formed a beautiful friendship and together we observed Sabbath. Unfortunately, by the end of my uh, freshman year, I was asked to host incoming freshmen and take them around the campus. And I listened to some of my uh, sophomore colleagues and they said, bring, bring them to Elmore Hall, which is a local watering hole. And there, for the first time, I actually drank alcohol. And I got drunk. And I came home and Neil saw me and he said, I can't believe you. And though he was dismayed, he continued praying for me. He didn't disenfranchise himself from me. But again, another fragment in my faith. So while I was at Santa Clara University, we were required to take religion classes. However, most of these religion classes didn't include the Bible. Most of the offerings were looking at uh, religion or the Bible under a microscope and pointing out the so-called um, discrepancies. So in Genesis, seeing a God who is omnipotent yet anthropomorphic using his hands. And so those types of things were what, what I was subjected to was creating doubt in the word. 
In addition to that, another religious course offering was a class called Slave Theology, and it focused on how Christianity had been used to break slaves and indoctrinate them, which is not actually historical. They definitely misappropriated the Bible, took out chapters, re-edited, and formulated to break the souls of black people, but that wasn't actually what Christ had designated to be the outcome of believing and faith. So nonetheless, I graduated from Santa Clara University, cum laude, and I launched into the world of Hollywood. So I delved in and out of modeling throughout my life. And I finally had landed a position um, with a, a, a now defunct production company called Abanda Part. And Abanda Part was owned by uh, Quentin Tarantino, Michael Bonarchek, and Lawrence Bender, some heavy hitters in, in uh, Hollywood. And at, the point, at this point, there was a, a few films that you might be, uh, uh, you might recognize. They were um, The Mexican with Brad Pitt, Usual Suspects with Kevin Spacey. So this was a, a, a solid production house. And I ended up in the commercial division and music video production division. And I worked as a right hand to director Darren Grant, a very talented director. And while we were there, my job was a script writer. So in other words, I would write treatments for music that was unreleased. So up and coming artists or established artists would send in their music I would listen to it, brainstorm with my boss, and then come up with a visual representation in the form of a script to help illuminate the song. So if you're familiar with MTV or you know, any of the VH1 videos, this, this was my job. Alongside of that, I also would take into um, work um, uh, campaigns for different companies such as Budweiser. So if Budweiser was going to, say, uh, support the World Cup, then I'd have to come up with a, a commercial that showed, you know, soccer, uh, vignettes of soccer, and then, you know, weave in uh, joyous drinking of Budweiser. So... To explain a day in the life, for example, I worked on Destiny's Child Survivor song, received that in, in, in a FedEx package, listened to it repeatedly, and came up with a theme for that. And sat with, uh, wrote the script, sat with the storyboard artist, helped to you know, um, carry every shot out, um, sat with um, casting agents, selected you know, different artists, dancers, stylists, you name it. The amount of effort that goes into building the image of these idols that we unwittingly uh, worship, buying their music, putting them on a pedestal is amazing. But just know that everything that glitters is not gold. The lure of the secular world now had changed my focus to status, living up to other people's expectations, indulging in materialism, money, and power. Now, at this time, I also uh, was engaged uh, to my now husband of almost 20 years. His name is Randy Wynn. And Randy was working his way through the minor leagues at this time. He had been originally drafted with the uh, Florida Marlins. 
And um, he then got taken in an expansion draft when they opened up the Devil Rays in Tampa Bay. So he bounced up and down through the minors and I was living in California and he in Florida and we had this beautiful three year long distance relationship and we were finally engaged. And as he worked his way up, he finally settled in a big league position and then he became chosen as an all-star. Um, and during that time, um, again, we were 3,000 miles apart. And we finally did uh, get married and so I retired from my job, so to speak, uh, in Hollywood, but then I started to become a ghost writer and write uh, scripts for people. And now we were consumed by what was called a baseball life. So here's a photo of, of my mother and father. This is on our wedding day. And this was a whole nother transition in my life. So as a baseball wife, we'd gone to several teams from the Devil Rays. Right after we got married, we were told, you're traded to Seattle. So we, we left for Seattle, then from Seattle, we left the San Francisco Giants. We stayed there the longest, almost five years, from San Francisco to the Yankees. Um, from the Yankees um, to uh, your town, St. Louis, Cardinals, and then retiring, I see you, and then retiring um, with the Orioles. And with that life, we were certainly very, very blessed. I cannot complain. We had everything we could have possibly desired. I'll get back to this family. Let me just get to the journey here. So in accumulating wealth, I found that I, I um, didn't really have a reason to pray anymore. I had everything I needed. God clearly had blessed me. I didn't need to have a relation with, with him constantly um, at the foot of the cross. This is my ignorance. And so we went deeply into the secular world, believing that we were Christians. So my whole faith was, hey, I was raised SEA, I know the truth, um, and as long as it's in my heart, I'm good. I'm good with the Lord. Look at how he's blessing me. And so we had homes in uh, various states, um, we were able to purchase every one of our dream cars. Um, we uh, were in a wonderful circle of very famous people, you name it. Um, people not just in baseball, but in basketball, people in um, football. Um, and this was in essence our lifestyle. And this, was, this had become the, the idols in our life, right? So purchasing luxury vehicles. Um, that car actually ended up almost taking my life. I don't want to get in any trouble, but that was autopilot, bad idea. Drove me right into a bank. Um, these are some of the homes that we had acquired and owned. A house of glass right on a lake. Um, a compound, um, 8,500 square foot feet on a lake. Um, the interior, this was just the entry room. This was our humble entry room. Um, and then the Lord started to allow affliction in my life. 
And it came in the way that I was five years a barren wife. And everything we tried, we couldn't get pregnant. And there would be comments from my in-laws and friends, what's wrong with you guys, you know? Don't you wanna start a family? And you just have to suffer quietly. So this brought me back to God. I found myself asking my mother for advice, her giving me scripture, us praying together, um, developing a small circle of friends where we were praying. And luckily, I shouldn't say it was luck because it was divine. God gave me my wish, so I'm gonna go back, apologize for it being a little bit out of order. God granted our, our wish and we ended up having Sadia Wynn, there she is. That was our first baby. And shortly after, I ended up in the hospital almost dying from a, a breast infection. And I was quarantined because they believed that I had MRSA. And this infection brought me really, really low. And of course, I was right there with God, praying, uh, petitioning that he would save me. And surely he did. Amen. We then had our son, Shannon, and we also uh, had my nephew, who was 12 at the time, and so we ended up raising him as well. And so the five of us journeyed from city to city across this nation um, with uh, an abundance of blessings. And again, the lure of the world kept drawing me back in, and I, my devotional life kept shrinking. And once I had my kids, of course, I gave them the Bible, I gave them studies, I had them do worship with me, um, had them memorizing scriptures, but it was a shadow of who I really should have been. I wasn't devotional in my life. I was superficial with the word. So the secular world was now our life, we considered ourselves Christian, but our actions and minds were not devotional. In summary, each of us desires that, that conf, oh, excuse me, each of us has desires that conflict with God's plans for us. The pull of the world is transfixing, seductive, and deceptive. Nevertheless, he walks with you, yearning for you to just recognize he's there with you. So again, to summarize this chapter in my life, uh, Randy had almost completed 13 years in the major leagues and then I was afflicted again. When I was pregnant with my son, uh, my father was diagnosed with esophageal cancer stage four and this really broke me into pieces. My father and I were best friends. I looked to him for everything. Uh, and even though I was married, my, both my husband and I would go to my father for every type of advice you can imagine, financial, um, just, you know, where should we send the kids to school, you name it, he was a counselor. And so when he was dying, we threw money at the situation. We decided we're gonna get him the best doctor. We're gonna hire a, a private jet and a nurse and a, and a team to take him to a specialized clinic in Mexico, Issels, that will make stem cells out of his own blood to heal him. Now, 
Was I on my knees? Yes, I was, but it was because I was holding on to a promise in Psalm 91, which promises that, you know, no matter what comes near us, that God has us. But what I didn't notice was the introduction and the ends, the bookends to that Psalm, which was, in order for this deal to be what you desire, you need to follow me. Never turn from me. You need to abide under me. I put the abide aside and I relied on the promise. And at the ninth month mark, I lost my father. And I was shattered. So at this time, my godmother said, hey, wasn't your dad, you know, a spiritualist in Eastern religion? And I said, yeah. She said, maybe you ought to go that route to see if you can get a little closer to him. And I said, huh, yeah, let's do that. So now I started to venture into the gateway known as, you know, yoga. And at first I thought, oh, it's just exercise. You know, I'm aligning my spirit with my mind and my body. Ignorance. So I was trying to remedy the suffering of losing the closest person to me in the world. And at this time, I decided, okay, I've been, I keep getting offers to become a, a yoga teacher, let me just dive in and do it. So I did. And then that wasn't enough. I said, I just don't feel like I really understand what this is, let me go to India. So I went to India and I left my family. By now they are, my kids are eight and uh, 12. No, sorry, eight and 10 years old. I left them for six weeks. I lived in an ashram and I went to study under a guru. So, unfortunately, um, sorry, going a little too fast there. Um, here I am uh, in a posture that looks like I'm worshiping the sun and mixing my uh, SDA theology with my spiritualism, grabbing a bouquet of whatever sounded good to me so that I didn't have to correct my path. I could just stay where I was and become enlightened. But we all know when we study the word, this is not possible. And I became consumed by the culture and they're beautiful people. A beautiful place to be with amazing temples. But again, these were being introduced as paths of enlightenment when in reality they were deceptive practices of occultism. Amen. And even here in this yoga posture, you know, with my hands in a prayer at my heart, um, this is a posture where you basically would bring your palms from your heart chakra to your third eye, the eye of all knowing, and you would bow to anyone, you know, that comes within you, and you bow to each other, and the saying is namaste. The God in me bows to the God in you. And in this culture, there are over 300,000, excuse me, 300 million gods. So everything's a god. Everything, monkeys, dogs, trash, everything has a place in this pantheon. Now I don't know about you, but the light bulb didn't click and here I was believing it was okay. Now I didn't worship them, but it, I believed it was okay. If God created them, then people could believe that if they wanted to. That's, that was my justification. Now, 
I don't know, uh, if we're supposed to be the most intelligent beings, then how smart are we if we're bowing down to a monkey? So, I realized that um, things were off. Even though I was in search of, of ending my suffering and peace, things were still off. And then God sent one final affliction, and it was COVID, COVID-19. Well, at the time, I was you know, a very well-known yoga instructor. I was working at all the big clubs. I was getting paid the highest amount. My name was all over the internet. Um, people were giving me adulation for the classes, you name it. And when COVID hit, I said, well, I gotta keep my lifestyle up. So what do you think I went out and bought? Any guesses? No, I bought a Peloton. Because I figured, they're gonna close these gyms. I see the writing on the, on the wall. And part of who I am is exercise, so let me get a Peloton, I'm gonna ride this storm out. I got, it, I got it covered. And there was nothing further from the truth. God actually used COVID to break me down. He stripped me to the bare necessities. In that COVID environment, in a semi-incarcerated uh, circumstance, socially isolated, I got to look at all of my possessions and see that there was nowhere to go, there was no dress to wear, there was no need to have that expensive handbag, the 10-carat diamond rings and the 25-carat tennis bracelets and the, the gaudy jewelry that I had accumulated finally revealed their true worth. They were empty and meaningless. So when you make wealth your focus, it brings with it an abundance of idols which replace God. But when you put God first, he blesses you abundantly and keeps you in all your ways. In summary, when the laws of God are outside of you, you see them as a constraint and a hindrance. But the reality is that because the law of love and liberty are outside of you, it is your own ignorance that constrains you and you yourself become a stumbling block, sabotaging your spiritual wealth. Your growth in Christ is stymied. However, when the word is within you, it frees you from the bondage of sin, and it lights your path to complete the will of God. 1 Timothy 4.1 reminds us, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is who I was and this is what I had to be reconciled from. And awkwardly enough, as I rode my bike, my knees started to crack. When I walked up the stairs, it sounded like I had change in my knees. I said, I don't have any coins in my pocket, what's going on? Then it just wasn't entertaining for me to be on the bike. I was exhausted. Soon the fear from all the conspiracies, everything that was going around, the Black Lives Matter, the presidential debates, the wars, the, it's just too much. I become con consumed by these conspiracies. And, but I kept looking to the world. I kept going, well, what does this person have to say? What does this blog have to say? And it drove me into a deep, deep fear. And I finally experienced what people know as anxiety. Now this anxiety was crippling 
And before this, I didn't know what anxiety was. Again, I was very successful, I was confident, I succeeded in everything that I did. So anxiety was very foreign to me. But let me tell you, it's a chemical imbalance that causes you to fear like no other, to tremble. I couldn't even enjoy my own family, as beautiful as they are. I'd find myself face down on the floor wrapping my arms around my heart, incapable to even make a bed, incapable to function. I could barely eat. I maybe ate a handful of food a whole day within a whole 24 hours. And this went on for weeks and weeks. I was just a shell of who I was. I was skinny, lost all my muscle mass. I was unrecognizable. And I finally turned to God. I took my little pocket Bible and I hid myself in the closet. And every day I was on my knees, God, please help me, help me see the truth. Give me discernment. Take away my fear, please. And he didn't do it immediately because he wanted to know that I would surrender. So many times before I had shown him that I could worship as long as I could get something out of it. But he wanted to know that I was in it for life. So it became clear to me that I had to surrender everything, all the false idols in my life, and that my duty was the salvation of my family, not just me. So in this time, like I said, the churches were closed. And my niece, who had been living with me for five, almost, well, three years at the time, she had been living with us while doing a post back in order to apply to medical school. Thank God she got into Kansas City University. She's completing her first year there, praise the Lord. She had been worshiping in our home for three years by herself, at keeping Sabbath. And she would invite me and I'd say, no thanks. And my husband would say, well, what's she doing? It seems extreme. I said, no, that's how we are. That's SDAs. And and that was just, you know, I was fine with that. But then I finally felt her invite. And she never judged me. She let me live. She let God be the judge of my life. But when I broke, she was there, open, ready. And we found 3ABN on YouTube. And again, we watched Pastor Loma Kang for a year straight. We were with you guys that whole first year of COVID. And then I wrote him a letter because he said, you can email me at pastorsdac.org. So I did. And I'm gonna share with you guys the letter that I wrote to just give you a reflection of where I was. Here it is. So this is August 30th, 2019. Dear Pastor Loma Kang, my family and I have been watching your sermons online and have been brought to the Lord in a profound way. I was raised SDA but strayed. I can remember the moment it happened, the end of my freshman year at Elmore, Elmore Hall in college. I got drunk for the first time and returned to my dorm where my fellow SDA friend awaited me. It was our tradition to observe Sabbath together and he was thoroughly disappointed in me. 
Slowly after that, I began living in the world with the moral compass of a Christian, but the actions of a Gentile. I never became addicted to drugs or alcohol, praise God, but I became seduced by, by secular motivation, success, and worldly possessions. Your sermons have brought me back to the Lord and Sabbath, keeping daily. My family and I are learning how to prepare for the Sabbath. Daily we are working on simplicity, love, service, and worship. Hour by hour, moment by moment, we are acknowledging his grace and glory, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem. Yesterday was the first Sabbath in five months that we approached with daily preparation instead of cramming it all into Friday in the few hours right before Sabbath. We live less than 45 minutes from your Antioch church in California where you once carried out your ministries. We would be honored if you could come, or if we could come to Thompsonville, Illinois to be baptized by you. School starts in September. Now remember, this is August 30th, so I'm calling him, on set, I'm emailing him September 10th saying, school starts September 10th, let's get it together. <laughs> For my son and daughter, Shannon, 10, Sadia, 12, it, I know it's short notice, but the spirit keeps pointing me in this direction. I'd been thwarted in moving forward because of the COVID pandemic, yet when I pray about it, I receive, have faith and doubt not. Matthew 21, 21. As we have been sheltering in place with the Lord, obeying his word and relying on his spirit, his plan for us have been revealed. In this journey of studying, praying, and replacing my empty thoughts with the word, I have been given a glimpse of the mind of Christ. Two nights ago, I awoke already in prayer after a horrible dream. As we continue to walk with the Lord, he helps us to know his will and his guidance is readily available to us. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. My children were never baptized. I have always had the desire to have Saudi and Shannon choose to accept Christ on their own terms. And now that they have in spirit and truth, the hour has come. Please play, pray for us and inform us of your decision. May God continue to bless you. Humbly, blessings. Now let me tell you, I didn't hear from this man for about a year. But it wasn't his fault. God had a plan. And he started to reveal his providential plan for us in my life. So from this point, uh, my children had been uh, also watching Doug Batchelor, his Adventure Bible series for children. And my niece said, did you know that they're open? I said, what? She said, yeah, they're open. So this is a two-hour commute one way, two-hour commute. So four-hour round trip. And we decided as a family, let's go out there. So every Sabbath, we'd get up, the crack of dawn, prepare, be there for Sabbath school and worship. We did this for seven months straight. And then potluck one um, afternoon after Sabbath, um, a gentleman named Tom said to me, hey, do you know that there's a great church near you just 15 minutes away? Sometimes I do the reverse commute. I said, really? He said, yeah, the pastor's great. I said, okay. So, interestingly enough, my husband, who is not converted, but he, he's a, from a Baptist and Presbyterian faith background, he said to me earlier that week, he said, uh, you know, this going out to this Sacramento church is kind of ridiculous and extreme. He said, find a church closer, I'll come with you. So I said, okay. 
Well, he had to work that Sabbath because he does analyst uh, analysis for sports on uh, Comcast for the Giants. So he had to work that Sabbath. My mother and I and the kids went and uh, the pastor himself, Mitch Williams, showed us around and I, I was so touched by that. I said, wow, the pastor himself. And then he sat me down next to a woman, Gertie Womack, Wernick, excuse me, Gertie Wernick. And interestingly, in, interestingly enough, my prayer had been at this point, because I'd been turned away from uh, a local uh, a donation center, uh, Monument Crisis, I'd been turned away because of my vaccination status. And so I said, God, give me a place where my money and my service could be accepted. And so God is working and listening to all my prayers. God, give me a church where we can call it our home. God, reveal your purpose in my life. So here Tom says, go to that church. We go 15 minutes from my house. Then the pastor leads me around. He sits me down and I open the program. And when I open the program, I see community services led by Gertie Wernick. And I look over to my left and I said, is this you? She gave me that all-knowing, yeah, girl, come on over. I said, I'll be there Tuesday. But look at this. Then I opened the other side of the bulletin. And big as day was John Lomacang's face. He was going to be there in two weeks. I said, what is going on here? All my prayers answered just in following the word right here today. So I made a plan to be there. And that was the first time that my husband came to church with us willingly and heard the sermon of Pastor Lomacang. It was a packed house full of the spirit. From here, I let him, because he's popular out there, I let him, you know, uh, fraternize with everyone he could. And when I saw that he was getting to, to leave, I said to him, may I take a moment of your time? I didn't get a Three Angels uh, booklet. Can I get one? He pulled it right out. I said, all right, I got two more wishes for you. And I expressed those to him. And then he said, follow up with me. I want to hear about you. So I did. And I wrote them another letter. And finally, he answered. <laughs> I finally got the real email. So... From there, we became such wonderful friends, and I can honestly say that they're like brother and sister to me. And that's how I ended up here today. And not only that, but God extended my own prayers because in reading the scripture, it reminds us, you know, that it's not just about us, that God has left left a legacy here that we're supposed to take care of. Matthew 25, 42 to 43, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Well, Jesus reminds us that what we do to the least of these, we do to him. And I was so moved and touched by that that I said, God, I want to do more than just serve in a pantry. I want to make a difference in my brethren's life who don't know you yet, who are in the street destitute, asking, begging, and yet not receiving. And I don't want to save just a body. I want to save a soul. 
So I expressed this to Pastor Loma King. He said, I got just a solution for you. He put me in touch with Salt Ministries, Eric Camarillo. And when I called Eric, he said, you know what? I get a lot of calls. He said, but you're in luck. We just finished uh, creating a pilot program and we would love to work with you. You'll be the first to do this with us outside of our state. So God was working his plan in my life through me in greater ways than I had been able to when I was uh, donating and being a philanthropist, right? Throwing money at problems, but not giving people light and hope and a chance at the future kingdom. So with this, I just wanna wrap up and say that soon we'll be having or purchasing a, a trailer with six showers, six bathroom stalls, Um, being able to go out into the communities that have unsheltered people and giving them hope and dignity again. And we're uh, raising funds. My husband and I are putting down a third of it, maybe more than that. And we're hoping to get matching funds so that we could have this up and running by the end of the year. So I just want to remind you that your best life is still waiting for you. What are you gonna do about it? Are you ready to surrender? Are you happy with where you are? Are you tired of wondering and waiting and not having faith? If so, make a decision in your life now to surrender, wholly, completely, whatever is hindering you. We all have it in our lives. You know, the serpent is cunning and he knows how to keep us in darkness. So pray that you are willing and faithful to surrender whatever is holding you back because the promises of God are much greater than anything you can imagine. Hope looks forward in faith for divine provision that is yet to come. The confirmation is the evidences of all the longings generously fulfilled by God, our Lord Jesus Christ. My appeal to you is this, again, surrender is the first step to an abundant life. As I speak today, I just wanna say, if you're ready to surrender, open your heart and stand with me. Don't delay your blessing by holding on to something that can never bring the fulfillment that comes from complete surrender to God. Again, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let us close our eyes and offer up our prayers to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing the Holy Spirit here for blessing us, for speaking through me to reveal your glory and your plans for me. Let us be reminded that this isn't just my story, this is all our story. And like Mary in the alabaster box, we need to take part in delivering the oil that is more precious than we can afford by taking your word and your light and your bread into our lives. God, help us surrender. Let you be king in our lives so that we can bring more souls to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.